Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. It's, it's amazing. I think this is our 14th year or so of gathering together. And uh, our goal has always been to bring all the wisdom of the Old Testament and unite it with uh, the revelation of the New Testament. Because the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is God-breathed and God-inspired. And so our church is all about uh, seeing it all in a sequence. Right? It wasn't like up until the end of the New Testament, then God built a wall between the old and the new, and only stupid people would go back to the old and try to study that. That's not how it works. <clears throat> right? Well, all right. So our, our hope in all of this is just uh, that we get more than head knowledge. Head knowledge is good. It's better that God doesn't ask us to check our brains at the door. <laughs> he wants us to learn more so we can earn more. To know the knowledge of God. But he also wants that to produce faith. Produce anointing. Produce blessing. Produce understanding. Produce a, 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 an abundant life. A fulfilled life. A life where you're manifesting the presence and promises of God. And so that's uh, what we endeavored to do, and we're in Torah portion number one in Genesis chapter one. And uh, as we begin this new uh, uh, cycle in the book of Genesis, I wanted to uh, pick up on uh, one of the deep mysteries of creation that is hidden in kind of a dichotomy. I had all my notes all done as of Friday, and then on Friday morning when I got to studying, all of a sudden the Holy Ghost just changed all my notes. So I do have a part two. I went from six pages to 11 pages of notes for today, but uh, uh, half of it is part two. Uh, but what God and the Holy Spirit really impressed on me to teach is one of these mysteries in Genesis uh, that's hidden in a dichotomy. And here's what we're talking about. On the one hand, the, uh, the Bible uh, said that God created man from the dust of the earth. But on the other hand, he's created in the image and likeness of God. And when, when the, the Spirit hit me with that, it says, boy, I'm interested. I said, Lydia, check this out. What do you think I should do? Should I, should I teach all the notes and uh, my lesson plan that's already prepared? Or should I teach this? Well, I'd, I'd never heard this. I, I'd rather, ha, ha, well, I don't have any notes. So I sat down on Friday and then again on Saturday and spent uh, hours just reading and researching and studying and letting God speak to me. Do you ever do that? Or do you just watch uh, main cabin masters? 
I've seen every episode of Main Cabin Masters two or three times. I just am addicted to Main Cabin Masters. But we need to be addicted to Jesus. And Jesus is the Word that became flesh. So when we're addicted to Jesus, we're what? We're addicted to the Word. Do we have any Word addicts here? I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Amen. So what we have in Genesis uh, is an ultimate paradox. Uh, and that paradox is within our very essence. Uh, and it all comes from the same process of creation. Man is created in God's image, but he's also created from dirt. Now here's the scriptures that talk about this in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, male and female. They're not 21 different genders. And if you want to argue with that, uh, you're in the wrong place. (laughs) Male and female. Period. So, in the image of God, we're created. Now, uh, in Genesis 2... Verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Then he breathed life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So, these two descriptions of the creation of man uh, have this huge contrast, don't they? We're made from dirt, yet... We're made in the image and likeness of God. And really, when you look at that, it takes us from one spectrum, made from dirt, all the way to the other side, the other end of the spectrum. We're made in God's image. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And notice, too, that God doesn't simply say, let there be man. Let there be light, let there be this, let there be that, let there be man. It didn't quite happen that way, did it? Rather, what God did was he brought together a combination of two totally unrelated and unequal substances together, the dust of the earth and the breath of God. And it's this mixture of the two that tells us we're both physical and spiritual beings. Can you see that? God fused the spiritual and the physical together in our lives, and this begins to help us understand why we're created. Why am I here? What's my mission, Lord? What are you trying to accomplish through my life? Well, part of it is physical, And part of it is spiritual. Can you see that? Now being created from a physical substance, the dust of the ground, dirt, you could also say that physical substance is soil. All right? And and so when you think about it in terms of we're created from soil, 
It speaks to the idea that God created you and I with the intention that something would grow in us. Amen? And a big part of what needs to grow in us is the image of God himself. Okay? In other words, mankind, you and I, have been created with the potential to be a living, breathing, and faithful image of the Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. That's my destiny. At the very core of Genesis, being created in the image of God and being also created out of soil means that I'm to grow into the image of God. For the purpose that our lives would be visible and noticeable to everyone around us. There goes a representation of what God is like. And of course for all of our New Testament scholars, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what did Jesus do? He went about doing good, anointed by the Holy Ghost and with power, healing all. How many? All. All that were oppressed by the devil. A visible and noticeable representation of who God is and what he's really like. Churches are meeting today learning about an angry God. And there is a side of God that he can get angry. He gets angry at sin. And he gets angry at those that perpetuate sin in this world system that's motivated by the God of this world who came to blind the minds of people from believing. And our job is to counter that. Grow into that. Right? And so we don't necessarily start there. Some people have miracle grow on their lives. I felt when I first got saved, like God hit me with miracle grow. And there was just a hunger and a thirst. And that hunger and thirst never went away. 30 some years later, 36 years later, I'm still hungry. We stopped at Papa's Barbecue the other day over on Northwest Highway so we could get some brisket. And when we saw that brisket, boy, I got some hunger pain. Man, man, I scarfed that down so quick. Lydia was barely started and I'm licking my finger. I'm done. We need to be like that. For the Lord, for the Word. Hungry. Say hungry. We're not just hungry. I'm just not hungry. I'm hungry. How many of you are realizing that the nature of God has been planted in you?
Christian theology always starts with the fall of man. Christian theology should start with the nature of God is in you. What did God create first, the blessing or the curse? The blessing. But Christian theology typically focuses on the curse, the fall of man. And they skip over this part. All of it's true, but it's best to start in the beginning. God created the blessing. And his nature is in us. That means every child born into this world, has the breath of God inside of them. Today, no matter what your circumstance looks like, the breath of God has been breathed into you. You have the life of God in you. Right? We're all born with a genius-like potential. Yet to become an ambassador for the Lord, to have a spirit of excellence on our life, to be walking by faith and not by sight and all of these things that we've been learning, it just doesn't happen automatically. I know we want someone else to do the heavy lifting for us. But if we're ever going to reach our unique potential in God, we personally need to grow spiritually. As a new convert, being born again, that's just the start. That that altar call prayer isn't the end, it's the beginning. Right? But the cares of this world, the enemy comes to... All the, do all these things to choke out what God wants to do. Don't let him do that. Don't let the devil choke out the miracle harvest God has for you. Be determined to grow in the things of God. This is why God says, I created man from the soil. Because it's conveying the idea of, I'm going to grow something in your life if you'll partner with me. Well, when's God going to do something? When you start doing something. Don't be the guy that it's said of when it's all said and done, there was a lot more said than done. Don't be that guy. The key here is to understand that There's two sides of our creation. We're created from the dirt, the dust, the soil. And yet we're created in the image of God. He breathed his breath of life into us. And we became a living being. So this is speaking to that we're to grow uh, more than just physically. During the, uh, the shutdown with the coronavirus, I grew more physically. I went from a little uh, Nissan Sentra spare tire to a monster truck spare tire. And had fun doing it all the way. Give me some more of them chocolate donuts. But in a biblical sense, we're talking about growing spiritually. 
We need to grow from, as we used to say, no one knows who Pee Wee Herman is anymore. But uh, we might have come into serving God as Pee Wee Herman, but God wants to turn us into a spiritual terminator. I am the governor of California. I am the terminator. A famous rabbi wrote, The most fundamental principle of all is that man must create himself. It's this idea that Judaism introduced into the world. That man has to create himself. The potential's there. God's given us his word, his promises, they're blood-bought. We have the Holy Ghost in power. And all these things on our side. Now we got to get busy creating uh, and, and working towards seeing those promises manifested in our lives. Another rabbi, Rabbi Weiss, wrote, We must remember that the purpose of creation is not life on the level of surface reality. The object of creation is to penetrate the surface, find the presence of God it conceals, and establish a spiritual connection with the Lord. Amen? What a concept, right? So it's no coincidence that the name Adam means earth, and that he came from the soil. Another uh, famous rabbi, the Maharel from the 1500s, taught that the choice of Adam as his name points to the fact that man needs to labor in order to bring forth his hidden potential. If all you got is dirt there, you, you're going to have to do more. You're, you're created from soil, but now we got to plant the right things in that soil so the right things can begin to grow in our lives. This is what Jesus said in Mark 4. The whole kingdom operates under the principle that a man sows seed. And he's talking about spiritual seed as well as physical financial seed. See, the soil doesn't produce anything good without the right kind of seed and rigorous labor. This is where a lot of times, uh, like uh, the late, uh, great Ross Perot said, most people fumble on the three-yard line. (laughs) You're serving God. You're trying your best, and then you lose confidence, lose hope, and give up, and you didn't realize, I was in the red zone. God uh, says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. So there's work involved. That's it. This is a cult. I'm going to the church where there's no work involved. How many of you here are gardeners? A lot of hands. Anybody here grow up on a farm? Yeah? You know what we're talking about here. That's hard work, right? 
So there's another side to all of this. And that we know that weeds grow without any help. You don't have to give weeds any help. They just grow on their own. And left unchecked, they choke out the harvest. I was reminded of the old story, maybe you remember this, the old farmer that uh, years earlier he had bought a piece of creek bottom land that was never developed. It was all rocks and brushes, all messed up. And so he started in on it. He clearing it, hauling away the rocks, cultivating the soil. And he planted a garden. Everything from vegetables to corn, everything, you name it. It uh, became quite an impressive operation, something he was real proud of. So one Sunday, he's at church. And he asked the preacher if he'd stop by and have a look. Well, the preacher took him up on it, came over and looked things over. And he began to say, oh man, this is wonderful. These are the biggest tomatoes I've ever seen. Praise the Lord for what he's done. Then he said, those green beans, that squash, those melons, the Lord really has done a great work. Then he looked at how tall the corn had grown. And he said to the farmer, God really has been incredible. He's done great things. And so all the while, while uh, the preacher's saying this stuff, the farmer started to get fidgety. And then finally, he blurted out, Reverend, the Lord is good for sure, but I wish you could have seen it when he had the farm all by himself. Amen? What a great story. This is Christianity. God doesn't do it all. He has his part, you have your part. And this is what we're trying to get to when we study Genesis today, this divine principle that we're not only made in the image of God and given life because God breathed his breath of life into us, we're also created from the soil which tells us there's a growing process. There's a harvest God wants to bring out of your life. It shows us we have a heavenly side and an earthly side. And here's the deal. Each side is looking to be cultivated. We have a born-again side, which is where we have the divine nature of Almighty God on the inside of us. But there's also, because of Adam's fall, Adam's sin, we have an earthly side that when left to itself and its own devices will grow weeds wild and unrestrained. Why? Because the earthly side is the fleshly side, the carnal side. And that's the side that's always inclined to sin. So when the rabbi said the most fundamental principle of all is that man must create himself, he's teaching us that God is looking for people to partner with him to cultivate the right side, the spiritual side, the biblical side. Can you say amen? 
And let's say this, that when we partner with God, what we're really saying is that we're partnering with the Word. All right? We have to have an attitude of cooperation with the Word. You and the Word need to be best friends. Because that's what leads to life and blessing. This is what the Apostle Peter had to say about it. In 1 Peter 2.2, Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. How many of you want to keep growing into a full experience of salvation? See, the traditional church has taught that salvation is only eternal life. And if that's all it was, we couldn't praise the Lord enough. Because it's better to live like dirt in this world, but have salvation for all of eternity. But here's the deal. Salvation means more than in the sweet by and by. It has a lot to do with down here on the ground while we're still around. Eternal life, abundant life. Two sides to the deal. And we need to crave the milk of the word. Now I crave chocolate donuts. When we were at Papa's Brothers the other day and that uh, uh, saw the, that uh, brisket, I was craving. I wanted more. I started looking at Lydia's plate. Mmm. You going to eat that? We need to have a spiritual craving where we're not just hungry. Are you hungry? That's how we talk to the baby. Are you hungry, Zakai? Are you hungry? We say that to our little doggy. Are you hungry? But later on, you need to develop a hunger. I'm hungry. It's what Apostle uh, Paul taught to young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is valuable for teaching the truth. Do you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. And a lot of people can't handle the truth. God doesn't show us the truth and convict us of the truth because he wants us to suffer. He wants us to be set free. The devil has people in their clutches because of sin, because of false information. Even as Christians, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. So we need the Word. We need to grow in the Word. The Word, desire, crave, hunger, thirst for the Word, the Word, the Word. This is really how you get born again. When you're born again, you should enter into a divine nature, a divine cooperation with the Lord, where you're always hungering and thirsting after the things of God. Not just the Dallas Cowboys. (laughs) 
We're reborn out of the natural world into a supernatural one. Once again, Peter teaches this in 1 Peter 1.23. You have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever. Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Hallelujah. That's in us. It's an incorruptible word. And being transformed where we're thinking that way and living that way, that takes some growth, right? It doesn't all happen by Friday. But the more we realize that, man, I'm in the family of God. I, God has breathed His divine nature into me. And He's causing me to grow and prosper and flourish because I'm planted in His house. I'm planted in His soil. John 1, one, the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And still is God. That echoes Genesis 1.1. And shows us the foundation of a successful Christian life is built on the Word. I'm going to say so. It's not just built on praise and worship. Because a lot of the praise... Like we are listening to... uh, We listen to uh, Sirius Radio, The Message, and Kurt Franklin Praise. And all the time I turn to Lydia, I don't like that song. That song is a bummer to me. That's not feeding me and edifying me. That's reminding me that that I'm from dirt. (laughs) And I'm not progressing. And I need people to feel sorry for me. I don't want nobody feeling sorry for me. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power and vision and health and healing and prosperity and all of that kind of mindset. Not how poor and pitiful I am. So watch what kind of music you listen to. A lot of times I just rather listen to old time rock and roll. At least it gets me motivated, right? I'd be listening to some whiny song on the Christian stage. And I said, forget it. Why'd you guys choose that song? I listened to Tom Petty. I won't back down. I will stand my ground. And then I just apply it to what my Christian walk. I will say this, I'm glad I missed the 80s. The big hair bands. Not, not a big fan. We got born again in the early 80s and just put all of that aside for years and years. But it was back in the 80s when we gave our lives to the Lord and our Christian journey began up in Seattle... Uh, that our first church, this is our second church, we have two churches in 35 years. Christian Faith Center and New Beginnings. That's really the way it should be. If you're a church hopper, a bunny rabbit Christian that hops from church to church, don't do that. 
Because usually when you get the urge to hop to the next church, it's because God has uh, had the preacher preach on something that's dealing with you. It's the truth that will set you free. But instead of feeling uh, like God is using that to convict you to change, you let the devil turn it around and say, oh, they're condemning me. I'm going to a new church. But the foundational scripture up in uh, Seattle was Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Wow. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Good stuff. So we grew up on that. Our first 10 years was all of that kind of teaching. But the transformation process it's talking about only occurs when you let the Word of God guide and govern your life. It's hard to be a Christian and not know your Bible. You're the, I'm getting into heaven by the hair on my chinny chin chin Christian. I do not recommend that. You might not get a reward. In fact, when they put the heavenly flamethrower on, it'll burn all the wood, the hay, the stubble, and uh, only the gold and the silver, only what was incorruptible will remain. Hopefully, uh, you've got a lot of things that are incorruptible and will survive that test. Another important scripture we studied was in Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. They think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. How do you know the difference? You can go to some churches and they'll teach you secular doctrine, Right? They don't teach you life-changing, transformational truths that will set the captive free. We need that. Goes on to say in verse 6, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Why is nothing ever working out for me? I'm going to church. Maybe it's because there's something controlling your mind other than the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. A lot of times it's those deep-seated things. That taproot that goes down so deep and that bitterness, that unforgiveness is such a part of someone's personality, they can't even see it. I got into this thing, I don't want to be the last to know. Here's all my faults, here's all my failures. Tell me what I got to do to change these things because I don't want that stuff clinging to me and hanging on to me. When you let the Spirit control your mind, it leads to life and peace, Romans 8. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. Which means when you're hostile to God, you know, yeah, you shake your fist to the heavens, but it means you're not hungry for the word. You're not hungry for church. You're not hungry for the things of God. You're not hungry for prayer. Sometimes you just got to do something to shake it up. 
Like if you like sleep until 9 a.m., Sometimes you just got to shake it up and say, you know what? I'm getting up at 5 a.m. I'm going to pray and study and get my breakthrough. This thing does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So there's levels here. If you want to go to the next level, you got to beat the next devil. Bam. But God is saying you can grow yourself out of all the negative and into something wonderful. When we were in the Seattle church, we were in children's ministry. And one of our uh, foundational scriptures out of 2 Timothy 2.15, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Where does the wisdom to trust Jesus come from? The Holy Scriptures. So the devil's going to put on a full court press to try to block every move you make to learn the word. Children who grow up with the word receive the wisdom of God that leads to salvation, abundant life, and eternal life. But we've seen so often that kids grow up many times without any knowledge of or respect for the word, for God. So a child can be trained up without any spiritual growth. Notice how the secular school system picked up on this, right? And how they've, uh, over uh, the years, they've deceitfully switched the educational process. It used to be reading, writing, and arithmetic. (laughs) Not no more. Now it's just a social engineering lab. Children are Petri dishes. And so in order to be able to impart all their secular values about homosexuality, transgenderism, LBGTQRSTWXYZ, all of that, I'm, I, I don't fear many things, but I fear a teacher teaching my little grandson that he might really be a girl. I, I'm nervous about that. Thank God that uh, we have a, a, a people in America right now that want to stand up for charter schools. Why is there such a resistance to charter schools? Because the government and the secular educators don't have a control over what's being taught. Everybody knows they don't know how to read and write anymore. But they're, school after, just barely knowing nothing. You know, at a fifth grade level, you're in 12th grade. How'd you get to 12th grade with a fifth grade level? Because their mission wasn't to train them in reading, writing, and arithmetic. Their, their social engineering well, I want to teach you that you might be one of 21 genders. No, male and female, he, end of story. And I don't need the Bible really to prove that. I just need a biology book. Trust the science.
In today's study, from the time of Adam till the time of Noah, it was ten generations. But at the end of the ten generations, what happened? The flood, the great flood. It's because society just uh, uh, descended deeper and deeper and deeper into sinful secular lifestyles to, to the point that's all they craved. And God said, enough is enough. And the great flood is a shadow and a type of something that's yet to happen. Something's coming. Valdez is coming. The great tribulation is coming. And that's a, a shadow and a type from the great flood. So this, this is the dichotomy. We were created from dirt, from soil... But we're also created in the image and likeness of God. But because we're created from the dust of the earth, God is saying, I expect you to grow. I've planted my divine nature in you. Cultivate that. Care for that. Preserve that. Nurture that. And grow. But it creates a type of struggle. And it's the most basic kind of spiritual warfare. Because your mind, your emotions, your attitude, your thinking is either going to gravitate, as we read, to the things of God or the things of this world. And that's the conflict. That's why you can be an unhappy Christian because you haven't resolved the fact, as for me and my house, this is the direction we're going. End of story. I don't have to debate it every morning and start at zero base, wondering, will I serve God today? I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, no turning back. The kind of struggle I'm talking about plays out in a month or so when we study Jacob's return from exile to the promised land. He had been in exile at Laban's house for all that time, and now God says it's time to go back to Israel. Aliyah returned to Israel, and he gets to the banks of the river. He's the only one there, and all of a sudden he goes into this mysterious wrestling match. What's that all about? Many rabbis point to this as the struggle between who he was as Jacob the deceiver and who God destined him to be as Israel, the one that prevails. That's what Israel means, the prevailing one. And so our spiritual destiny hangs in the balance. Jacob's descent into Laban's lifestyle didn't destroy the image of God in him. Just like man's fall into sin didn't destroy or remove the breath of God from human beings. What it did, though, was damage and distort it. So every person in every generation since the fall of Adam has inherited this distortion. And our mission in life is to repair the damage that was done. 
It's kind of like tikkun olam. To repair a broken world, let's begin with ourselves. Let's start with the man in the mirror. And the only way we can repair ourselves is by going back to the Creator who wrote the book of creation, how we were created, and use His divine principles to recreate our life. And this all begins with accepting Yeshua, Jesus, as the Lamb of God. Right? We receive salvation. We receive forgiveness. We receive the blessing that every curse is broken. But then we have to choose to live for the Lord, to walk with Him, to love Him with all of our heart. What's the greatest commandment? With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. How does that happen? If you go back and look at Adam's experience in Genesis 2-7 again, it says the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and man became a living being. But a lot of times we miss verse 6. The verse before it says the springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. That's living water, folks. We need living water. The word is uh, compared to water. Wash thyself with the water of the word to cleanse us, our thoughts, our mind, our emotions from all of this ungodliness that the world, the devil is trying to sow into us. We can sit in church and be depressed, have no hope. We don't have a vision. We don't know what to do. We're confused. There's things happening in our lives that are overwhelming. Why? Not enough living water. You need more living water. When your word level is high, your living water level is high. When your word level is low, your living water level is low. Time to put, fill up the living, fill yourself up with living water today. So just before Adam was formed from the soil of the earth, the Torah says the land was watered. The great Rabbi Rashi explains this as first God watered the soil, then he formed man. And he describes it similar to a kneader who first pours water on the dough and then begins to knead the dough. The water makes it supple so it can be formed into the kind of vessel that God wants. A vessel for honor. And so we need the Word. Amen? It's one of the keys to creating the breakthrough you're looking for. We're not only made in the image of God and given life by the breath of God, we're also created from soil. We have a heavenly and earthly side. And each side is looking to be cultivated. Your born-again side has the divine nature planted in you. But the earthly side, left to its own devices, is the fleshly side that craves all the wrong things. And so as the rabbi taught, the most fundamental principle of all is that we need to create ourselves. How do we do that? Here's five things as we close. I'll read them quickly. 
Number one, develop a prosperous soul based on the promises of God. That's what you do. 3 John 2, beloved friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and that you continually enjoy good health just as your soul is prospering. All right, so you got to labor in that. Takes time, effort. The E word, effort. Number two, read, read, read and study the things of God. Proverbs 8.12 says, wisdom and good judgment live together. For wisdom knows where to discover knowledge and understanding and find out knowledge of witty inventions. How many of you could use some more witty inventions to get you where you know God wants you to go? Amen. Number three, pray in tongues. For wisdom, creativity, guidance, and insight. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. You see a person speaking in an unknown language is not addressing the church because he's really addressing God. Those who overhear him don't understand because he is speaking in the Spirit the depths of the mysteries of the Lord. Makes you want to pray in tongues for an hour. Number four, listen for the voice of the Lord, and he will show you great things. This is Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know, hidden things of which you were unaware. Come on, Lord. And number five, change your language from negative to positive. James 3, three horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body. And the same with mighty ships, though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. Who's at the helm of your life? I hope it's Jesus. I hope it's the living word, the living Torah. Five things. And so I believe as we just embrace these things and absorb these things, the problems that you've been facing are about to be solved. Obstacles to your breakthrough are about to be removed. The goals and desires of your heart are about to be achieved. We're starting a new year. Set some goals. God, give me a great vision for the the new year. And I come into agreement with you, Lord, for your inspiration, your revelation, your, and give me a spirit of determination. Release it in my life. Release it in all that I'm setting my hand to do so the power of God can power me into my destiny. In Jesus' name, amen today. Amen. Are we doing good? Give the Lord a hand clap.